It's always a unique moment whenever we get to come together and um, reflect on who Jesus is and what he means to us. And sometimes I think we can walk into the moment without... Oh, sorry. I'm just going to move that. I'm preempting myself, tripping over it. Um, Sometimes I think we can come into this moment and we're still thinking about the week. We're still thinking about our to-do list. We're still thinking about everything that clouds our mind during the day. And so I'd love for us just to pray to start, just so we can get ourselves into the right mindset just so that we can prepare to hear from God tonight. And so we're going to pray together. Father God, we just thank you so much for this moment here right now. We thank you that you have a heart for each one of us and that you're always calling us to more, Father God, that you're always calling us to a greater purpose. And I pray right now our hearts would be open, that we would be prepared to receive what you have to say and that we would be encouraged that we could leave here knowing more about who you are, Jesus. And we pray that in your name. Amen. So something very concerning has been happening to me recently that I have noticed. Has anyone ever heard the words of their parents come out of their mouth? Because if you have, you know why I'm very concerned. You know, I'm in this really great season of life where a lot of my friends are having babies, which means that I get to cuddle and play and don't actually have to do anything. And it's honestly the best. And so thank you to all of my lovely friends who are having children. Much appreciated. Um, But it's this moment where you realize that the things you always said you would never say or never do as a parent fade out of the window very quickly because I am not yet a parent and I can hear the words of my mum coming out of my mouth. Just the other day, I heard a kid calling out for help and I thought, you better be dying if you're using the word help because in my household, if you said that and you weren't in immediate danger, you would be in big, big trouble because mum would always say, then if you really need help, how will anyone know? Because you're always calling it out and everyone goes, oh, they're just mucking around. And I always said, that's a ridiculous rule. Kids love to scream. They love to have fun. It's so good. And I'm already saying it. I'm already saying it, already thinking it. Or the other day, I found myself walking around the house in socks and sandals. And I had to ask, when did I become my father? (laughs) How did it all go downhill so quickly? And there are these moments in my life where I realize I've somehow become something that I didn't intend to be. And not just in fun examples like that, but sometimes in my career, you know, I never expected to be where I was at when I finished high school. I just sort of was there and then had to wonder, how did I end up working at Sizzlers? This isn't what I had in mind. I didn't plan on delivering cheese toast after cheese toast to table after table. And, you know, I think we all have moments like this, moments where we look at our life and go, how did I get to where I am now? I didn't intend to be here. It might be in a a relationship or a friendship. It might be in your career. It could be maybe just in your behavior where you go, how did I become this person. And because we all have these moments, well, I'm assuming we've all had these moments, um, I really started to ask myself, if this can happen to me as a person, then I feel like it can happen to me as a Christian. You know, can we become something we don't intend to be as Christians, as followers of Jesus? And so I thought, who am I as a Christian? What What would speak to who I've become as a Christian? And I looked at my life and I thought, okay, I've got church on Sundays. Yes. 
That seems like a Christian-y thing to do. I've got interns during the week. We've got life group. We have events like we just had encounter night last week. And I sort of did the balances and went, okay, I think I'm, I would say I've become a pretty decent Christian on that scale. You know, going to these events, doing these things that we uh, just describe or experience as a Christian. And we've been reading a book at the moment in interns called Wiki Church. And any of the people in this room who have been interns know it well, know it very, very well. It's a book by Steve Murrell about leadership. And if you are involved in any work leading people or teams, I encourage you to read it. But we've been reading a chapter in the last few weeks. It's weeks, weeks, sorry, I was about to say fish and I think it crossed over, weeks, and it's called Fishing for Men, Catching Birds, and Ashtray Evangelism. And it actually speaks into this idea of what a Christian should look like. And it gets to this point where it says, if the Pharisees existed today, would they look at us and accuse us of being like Jesus? Or would they say to us, you are surely a friend of Christians? And the context behind that is that the Pharisees were known for being disengaged from the world. That's how they defined their mission. That's how they defined their purpose, was to be removed from sin and the people that they considered sinners, to have the outsiders over here not look at them, not engage them at all, and only want to deal with the people who promised to follow every law, who promised to change who they were. That was what the Pharisees were. That's how they defined their mission. And what they loved was people who engaged in religious activities. Whereas when we look at Jesus through the Bible and through this book, what we see is that he loved the party. He loved to find where the quote-unquote sinners, not a fan of that word, I'll say unbelievers, the people who didn't yet know Jesus, where they were, and he actually went out and engaged them. That was the difference between the religious people And Jesus was that engagement. And so when Steve, uh, the author of this book, he poses this question, if the Pharisees looked at us today, would they like us or would they hate us? And I thought, that's an interesting question. And I felt really attacked, not going to lie. I felt really attacked because there's a part in that chapter that says, would they look at you and see church on Sunday, Bible study on Tuesday, church Uh, coffee with your church friends on Wednesday. You, you're a great Christian. And I thought, ouch, that hurts. And so the title of my message tonight is Accidental Pharisee. Because I, when I took all of this on board and I thought about it, I had to ask, you know, that was how I was assessing my life. I'm here, I'm doing these things, this is so good. But when he asked it that way, would, would people like that hate me or love me? I have to really question whether I've taken on board some things that I didn't mean to take on board, that I've become a Christian. I never intended to be one who maybe wasn't following the teachings of Jesus, but had somehow taken on board a, uh, a perception that these religious people had. And so I want to unpack that tonight and ask us this specific question. You know, the Bible says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. That's why he believed in engaging culture and community. That's why he wouldn't stand back. He needed to step in. 
And so if the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and we can see that that meant for him not just being at prayer meetings and around religious people, but actually engaging people in their world, stepping out, being a part of what was going on in people's lives, journeying with them, then I have to ask, have we or has the church become really comfortable welcoming and accepting people but stopped seeking them? And I think that that's a really important question to ask because that to me was the difference between a Pharisee and Jesus was that the Pharisees weren't interested in seeking you they were interested in obtaining you if you would do what they asked you to do be a part of what they wanted you to be but Jesus doesn't care where you're at on that journey he seeks he comes and finds you he meets you where you're at and he engages that not to make you have this grand decision, but actually because he's authentically interested in you. And that is so, so profound. And so tonight, what I want to look at or what I want us to unpack together is the way that Jesus seeked people, the way he looked for them and how we should take that on board as believers. Because this is one of the most important things for us. Because right now, I can almost assure you, there are people all over the world saying, where is God? Where is God in my circumstance, in this season, in this hardship, where is he? And people cry out and they just can't see where God is. And the great tragedy of that is that I think God is looking at us going, don't ask me where I am. Where are the people that I called to seek? Where are the people that I asked to disciple others so that God would always be present in the world? See, the reason we need to seek people is that Jesus might not be here in flesh, but he can be here in every action we take, in every decision where we choose to engage people and the world. And so we need to make this a priority. And so we're going to look at Luke, Luke, sorry, had a bit of a stutter there, Luke chapter 19, where we hear a story about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And so I'm going to read through the scripture. Then we're going to look at, it's pretty much my journaling. We're going to look at a couple observations, a couple applications. We're going to ask some questions. And then we're going to have a good dance party time and eat good food, hey? Does that sound good? It sounds great to me. I'm actually very excited. Um, So chapter 19 in Luke, we start here. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was but because he was short, preach, he could not see over the crowd. I feel for Zacchaeus and so he ran ahead, he climbed this tree because he wanted to see what Jesus, who he was and so when Jesus reached that part of the road, he looked up And he said straight to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down, welcomed Jesus gladly. And in some translations, it says, with much joy. It says, all the people saw this and they began to mutter. He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions back to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. I love this story. 
and it's not just because there's a short person in it, I can assure you. I also have been a tax uh, accountant, so I feel on a few different levels, me and Zachy Boy, are, uh, we're on the same page. We've, been, we've walked the same road. But the first thought I want to bring out of what we've just read is that Jesus accepted Zacchaeus as he was. This is really important for us to understand what a tax collector was in those days. A tax collector was someone who received all the taxes from the Jews to give back to the Romans. And they were usually a Jew themselves. So the Jewish people considered them traitors. The Pharisees considered them unredeemable. That's not a fun life. If you live in Jericho, you're surrounded by Jewish people. And to know that they all hate you, you're an outsider, no one would even come near you, especially those who wanted to get in with the religious crowd, because the religious crowd considered you unsavable. There was nothing that could help you as a tax collector. They would usually steal extra money, take cuts on top of themselves, and that's why I think it says he was very wealthy, because it suggests he's actually stolen from a lot of the people that he lives around. Zacchaeus was not necessarily the nicest, most trustworthy guy in the world. But imagine the impact when Jesus says, I want to come have dinner with you. The Son of God says, I would love to eat with you. I would love to spend time with you, Zacchaeus, and points him out. You know, I don't think, I used to think Jesus just magically knew his name because he was Jesus. Now I'm more convinced that Zacchaeus had a reputation. And that if he's surrounded by religious people pointing out sinners, Zacchaeus is probably at the top of that list. And so Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's making a very firm statement that I do not care who you are or what you do. I want to enter and engage your world. And I'm not going to ask you to come and see me. I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to eat your food at your table. And that's something we really need to take on board. Jesus accepted him as he was. It was unconditional. There were no conditions for him to be Uh, engaged as a person. And the second thing I see is that Jesus stepped into his world, engaged his world. You know, I think when we think of engagement, when we think of reaching people, we think inviting them to church, inviting them to life group, which are great things to do. But for Jesus, it actually meant stepping into their world, not just inviting them to ours. You know, authentic relationship means that you don't require someone to do something specific for you to want to be with them. So if you only want to hang out with someone, if they come to church, that's not authentic. If you only want to um, invite someone to life group, but you won't go have coffee with them, that's not authentic. Our job is not to um, invite people into our inner circle. Our job is to make sure we're so far spread out that the world knows there is no inner circle. Everybody's welcome. This is an open invitation and I'm not going to wait for you to get it. I'm going to come, hand, deliver, seal, seal, sign, seal, delivered, whatever it is, I'm coming to you. And how grateful are we that Jesus did that for us? Because he chose to leave heaven and enter into our chaos and our brokenness and actually chose to engage us. Imagine if there was just this letter floating around that said, hey guys, I love you, come to heaven please, and that was it. That's nice, but there's a lot of things happening in the world, and I'm not sure that would be enough for me. There's a lot of things happening in people's world, guys. Maybe inviting them to church isn't enough for them. And by the looks of Jesus, he wasn't willing to leave it there. He wanted to go that extra step. 
And the third thing I see is that Jesus never tried to convert him. Instead, he just lived a compelling life. I think too often we think our job as Christians is to convert people. I don't even really understand that word. It's kind of a word we do not like because nobody wants to be converted. I would say I'm probably converted and I don't even want to be converted because it's just a word that has the wrong connotations. And like Shane Willard says, the word is not as important as the way we imagine it. And we imagine conversion being religious and rule-based and you're in or you're out, you're accepted or you're unaccepted, you're worthy or you're not. Jesus isn't interested in that. Jesus knew that if he lived a compelling life, people would be drawn to him. And that's what I think we need to remember. It's not our job to change people. It's our job to journey with them. It's our job to just live genuinely as people who love others, who want them to know who Jesus is, yes, but not at the cost of, I'm only going to follow you if you convert. I'm only going to come to coffee with you if you say, oh yeah, I'm thinking of coming to church. It should have nothing to do with that. It's a genuine, authentic, and a compelling life to lead. And so I have two simple applications for us. One and two, we're going to smash them out. We're going to engage people in their world. We're going to go to coffee with them. We're going to have a chat to them in the grocery store. We're going to invite them to dinner. We're going to go to their parties. We're going to have a great time because we love people and we want them to know who Jesus is. And can I say, there is wisdom in choosing where to go and what to do. Can I? This is not, if you're a teenager here, don't be like, um, I got told Jesus went to all the parties. So sorry, mum, but it's time to be a real Christian and head out. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, it's always important who's influencing who. It's always important that where we go, we know we can be the influencer. We can be the one who stands out as, you know, go to the party. Don't get blind drunk. Don't go crazy. That's not reflecting Jesus. Jesus has more for us than that. So let's be wise, but let's not want to keep it in the confines of church. Let's be actually more like Jesus and step out meet people where they're at, do the things they love to do. And we're probably going to have a lot of fun doing it. And the second thought is equip those to engage the people you can't reach. I love that Zacchaeus's response to Jesus is to be generous. Jesus didn't ask him to do what he did. I don't, Jesus didn't give him a giving message. Jesus didn't tell him about the importance of tithing. That was his natural response to Jesus' acceptance, to his engagement. And I think for each of us, we need to realize it is a natural response to be generous when we realize what Jesus has done for us. And there are people that we're not gonna be able to, we're not gonna be able to engage. Not everyone can be an overseas missionary. Not everyone is necessarily called to go into the West of Australia like Dennis and Rose and go and help people on their farms, build fences, literally just help out to be Jesus. There are people who are blessed and graced to do that, but every single one of us can equip those people, whether we pray for them, whether we give and support them financially, whether we maybe go on a trip just to appreciate what they do. We need to be equipping people to reach those we can't. And so I'm just going to ask us some questions so that we can really think about this uh, as we go into our weeks. And so the first question is, does our lifestyle or our actions reflect Jesus' mission for the lost or am I accidentally reflecting the Pharisees? Do we consider relationship with non-believers as important as relationship with believers? 
Are our non-believing friends compelled to become Jesus followers through their relationship with us? You know, you can try and explain to people why they should change or follow Jesus, but nothing speaks louder than your actions. Nothing speaks louder than seeing you continue to live faithfully and just in what Jesus has called you to do. That is what speaks to people. That's what compels genuine heart change. You know, are our friendships with non-believers authentic? Or do we feel like we need a sign of conversion, whatever that might be, to feel satisfied? Are we genuinely okay with just journeying with people, just actually loving them, actually wanting to be a part of their lives, a part of their story, even if we never see a firm commitment? You know, when Jesus took his disciples up to the mountain before, the very last words he says before he ascends into heaven, it says the disciples worshipped him and some of them doubted. The people that saw him (laughs) raised from the dead doubted that he was the son of God. Let's not need people to be firmly uh, on the same page as everything we do because even Jesus' disciples weren't always there. A lot of the time they're being corrected. Let's just be like Jesus and want to be on that journey with people and love people enough to not mind where they are, just want to be in their lives. You know, if we are really striving to live a life like Jesus, where are the lost people in our lives? You know, we need to not just be welcomers, not just be acceptors, not just stand at the front doors of the church every week and go, oh God, we pray that people realize they need to come to church today. We really hope that they walk through these doors and they meet you. Let's take Jesus to them. Let's make sure we're actually doing what we've been called to do, that we're seeking people, engaging in their world and equipping people to engage those that we can't reach. And so why don't we stand tonight as we finish You know, you might be here and maybe you've never considered God to be a seeking God before. Maybe you've always had more of that religious view that He wants you to do certain things, make certain changes before He gets to know you. You feel like maybe you've got a list of things to accomplish before you come to church or come to know who Jesus is. But I want to encourage you. Jesus doesn't mind where you're at in your journey. If you have doubts, great. So did some of the closest leaders that he ever did life with. So do I. So does probably every single person in this room. And I want to encourage you that Jesus loves us so much that he could not stand back. He needed to step into our story. He needed to step into our world. He needed to become a part of who we are so that we could experience what life was like with our creator. You know, this is good news. How incredible is it that God wants us to be connected to Him? God wants us to know that we have an incredible Creator. We have purpose. And if that's you tonight, and maybe in this moment you've never experienced that before, I want to invite you right now to be a part of that journey, to step into that journey. And so we're all going to close our eyes just in a moment of privacy. Um, But I encourage you to think on that in your heart. And for those of us who have maybe been on a journey with God, let's be thinking of the people in our world that maybe we've discounted, maybe the people that we've been inviting for church and to church and wondering why they don't want to come. Maybe it's time to take them out for coffee. Maybe it's time just to love on them and be content having a relationship with them that's outside of the confines of religion. And so no matter where you are tonight, considering stepping into Jesus, our journey with Jesus for the first time or wondering how we can be more like Jesus in the world. Let's just settle that in our hearts right now. Father God, we thank you so much that you're a God who seeks. Father, that we were worth your time and we are worth your time. We thank you so 
much that every single one of us has the opportunity to step into relationship with you, to know our purpose, our incredible, the incredible plans you have for us. And I pray that each one of us would be encouraged that you're not afraid of our sin. You engage it. You step into it and that we could each be a reflection of that in our communities. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if that was you tonight, Matt's going to come right now and he's going to share a little bit more about what you can do. Thanks, Sarah. What a great word. I love the accidental Pharisee. It's a great title.